And so today's uh, sermon is called Getting Out of Low Gear. Has everyone driven a car and, and it's been stuck in low gear? Yeah, him. Okay, so, you know, it's just, it, I remember I used to have a minivan years ago and you'd just hear this thing going, when it was in low gear, one into second into third, okay? But the thing is, often as Christians, if we're honest with ourselves, this is how we live our lives. We live it in low gear. We live our Christianity from the point of the lowest common denominator, the, the basic that we can get away with, the bare minimum of faith levels, amen, just to get us into glory by and by, just that, that absolute bare basic minimum. But I feel that the Holy Spirit is saying and challenging us, it's like, guys, it's time to shift through that gearbox and it's time to go into a lower gear. You see, if you want a plane to take off, okay, you don't get in your plane and just taxi around all day. Oh, this is great. I'm in a big aeroplane and I'm like having fun here. If you, the, the plane was designed to do something, not to taxi around all day. It was designed to fly. You are designed to fly. You are designed to soar in heavenly places. And most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, day by day, because we let the daily grind of life grind us down, etc., etc., is that we are... Little planes just taxiing along the runway all the time, thinking, this is great. Christianity is great. We're looking for revival. We're looking for revival. It's like, mate, you don't need to look for revival. Just take that thruster pedal and just push it forward. This is what I see in the movies. I have no idea if this is what really happens. So I've got an ex-pilot in here, so you all know. You, know. you push that thing forward, probably with that hand, and you need thrust. If you want that plane to fly, you've got to have an, a certain degree of thrust to get that thing going. Amen? And then it can start to fly. All right? We as Christians need a good rocket up our backside so that we can fly. Hallelujah. We need to get off the ground. I'm immediately thinking of that Acme um, thing from like uh, the coyote, the, the road run, you know, where, the, where the, the, the wolf or whatever he is has got like a rocket on his back. That's what we need. But not an Acme one because they never turn out good. So let's turn to Isaiah 53. And it says... Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the strength of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a spring. Sorry, a sapling, can't read. Like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty that we should look at him. Nothing attractive is in appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by all. A man of sorrows and familiar with grief, like one whom people hide their faces he was despised, and we considered him of no account. Yet ours were the infirmities he bore, ours were the sufferings he endured, although we considered him as one punished by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was wounded for our sins, he was crushed for our wickedness, and the punishment that made us whole fell on him, and by his wounds we are healed." Often when we're coming to this time of year, it's Palm Sunday today, and obviously next week is, is the whole sort of Easter celebration. But often as we come to Easter, we, we always celebrate the, the death and the resurrection, don't we? Because that's what Easter's about, it's the death and the resurrection. Yet depending on your church background and where you come from, they will emphasize different things about Easter. Some traditions are very much about the grueling crucifixion and the death and the blood and all the grueling side of it. And in other traditions are more about the resurrection. But you see, to understand the power of the cross in our lives, 
we need to understand the power of the resurrection. Paul says, I think it's in Corinthians, he says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then of all people we are the most to be pitied. Because it's the resurrection that gives the cross its power. Without the resurrection, the cross is nothing. You, have, you can't just have one without the other. You can't just have resurrection life without the cross. And you can't have the cross without resurrection life. You have to have both of them together. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, we know that he died to pay the price and the penalty for our sins. We understand that. But there's a lot of things that we don't understand about the cross. So, anyone here read the book of Leviticus? It's a great read, okay? It's one of my personal favorites. And Leviticus, the first several chapters, I think first six chapters, are talking about the different types of offerings that were offered up for those in covenant relationship with God. So you had things like the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, etc. And then other kind of weirder offerings like the ordination offering, so, so that the priesthood could be ordained into ministry, etc. And when Jesus went to the cross... He wasn't just a lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. He didn't just die to pay for the price of sin, but he was also a burnt offering. So that he was presented up to God as a covenant offering so that he would be an acceptable, an acceptable sweet aroma to his father. He was also the ordination offering, which through that offering allows us to be ordained as a kingdom of priests. So that we can be of the order of Melchizedek. He's the trespass offering. He's the grain offering. That The grain had to be bruised and crushed before it was presented before the Lord. He fulfilled all of those types. He fulfilled all of those shadows. But I, I was meditating on this passage this week. And um, the first bit kind of brought me to tears really. And it was, it was verse 1. Who has believed what we have heard? Who has believed our report? Who has believed it? I'm reminded of John the Baptist. He baptized Jesus, the Son of God. He saw the Holy Spirit descend upon him as in, as in a form of a dove. He knew that this was the Messiah. And yet, he was arrested and he was in prison. And it was in that place, in the place of chains, in the place of imprisonment, that he started to doubt and he sent some of his disciples to say, Jesus, are you the one or should we look for another? And you see, in our own lives, we can so easily get ourselves put in a cage, can't we? We can oh so easily put ourselves into chains and into bondage, make ourselves depressed and almost, if you like, get in the cell and shut the door on ourselves. Because that's often what we can be like. And then it's in that place that when we doubt God, did God really say dot, dot, dot? Did God really say this is what he wants me to do with my life? Am I really doing that which I believe that he called me to do? We know we start to doubt and question everything. Is Jesus even real? All that kind of stuff. And this is what John the Baptist is, the place that he was at. And he said to his disciples, go and ask Jesus, are you the one or should we look for another? And so John's disciples went up to Jesus and said, you know, are you the one? Or should we look for another? And Jesus said, tell John this report. The dead are raised. 
The sick are healed, the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear. Go back and tell him this report. And when he heard of the signs and the marvels and the miracles and the wonders, then John knew that this was indeed the Lord. This was the Messiah. Hallelujah. Yet I was questioning myself, who has believed what we have heard? The Spirit was saying to me, Chris Wickland, do you really believe this book? Do you really believe it? And it's like, I felt like John the Baptist. I was like, oh no. Do I have to go and send someone out to ask some questions and come back and hear the good report? Am I even going to believe that good report? What is this good report? Verse 4. Yet ours were the infirmities he bore. Now, I'm from Scotland, so an infirmary is uh, what we call a hospital. Okay, so infirmities means sickness. Now, now, here's the thing. We all believe that Jesus died on a cross for us, don't we, for our sins? Oh, we all believe that. And hallelujah, if that's all the cross had to give, then praise God, that's all we need. But that's not what the cross is about, just, just a sin offering. It's about something more than that. Jesus said, I am the life and the resurrection. He who believes in me, I shall raise him up on the last day. So Jesus didn't die just for your spirit and he didn't die just for your soul. We can all believe God for healing the spirit and healing the soul because that's easy peasy, lemon squeezy. But when it comes to physical healing, we all get a little bit, uh, a little bit funny about it. Yet, the greatest miracle is not just being born again, it's also about being raised from the dead. Now, when Jesus returns, he's going to raise the dead. Now, do you know how many people have come to faith over the last 2,000 years? You know, some, some denominations focus on the rapture. Man, the rapture's the afterthought. That's what the freaky, scary thing we'll be seeing literally billions of people coming up out of the ground. That's the freak show. What the heck is going on around here? All these people just, these, Fists coming out of the ground, and out come these resurrected bodies. I'm sure it won't be quite like that, but it will be, it will be glorious. But that will be the big show, and, and, and that's the great miracle. I mean, some people, they've just, you know, they've been in the ground for so long that they're nothing but dirt. And somehow God is going to rematerialize them and reform them and re-resurrect them out of the ground. And yet we have problems with God there being healing in the atonement, for example. Because this is what it says. It says, he was wounded for our sins. Yes, amen, Brother Chris. But verse 4 says, yet ours were the infirmities he bore. And I would say, and I've been challenged on this as well, is do we diminish the power of the blood of the Lamb? Because do we not think it's good enough? Do we not think it's powerful enough? We think, according to our own theological traditions that we've had handed down to us, that, well, we know that the blood covers sins. Absolutely unquestionable. But, but the same passage also says, he bore all our sicknesses. Are we therefore saying, well, I don't believe that God wants to heal everybody. Are we therefore saying that the power of the blood is good enough for one thing, but not quite good enough for something else? 
Because that's, if we're honest with ourselves, that's what we're saying. We're saying that the blood is sufficient to deal with sins, but it is not sufficient to deal with the, sin, the sickness of mankind. Yet, it's the same blood that will raise you from the dead by the Spirit of God on the last day. Isn't that the greater miracle rather than you being healed of a headache? And yet we, we dumb everything down. We live to the common denominator. We just drive around in low gear because that's the easy way of doing it. That's easy Christianity. But you see, brothers and sisters, we're coming into a season now where God is calling on his church to rise up in this hour. You see, the world is going to go down the pan big time. And you guys are the answer and the solution to the problem that is at hand. But if we're just driving around, I'm just thinking of like, you know, those little kiddie toys with, with like a little car battery inside them. So they think they're driving like what looks like a BMW, but it's quite clearly a toy. And as Christians, me, me, you're not really driving around a BMW, you're driving around in a toy. It's time to get in the real BMW. It's time to drive the real car. It's time to take God at his word. It's time to get radical for him. It's time to believe again. We are believers. It says that on the tin. So let's start believing. Hallelujah. Not doubting. And these are the signs that will follow those that doubt. No. These are the signs that will follow those that believe. My experience of being a Christian is if you don't believe God for stuff, you ain't going to get it. But if you have the courage and you have the tenacity to believe God for the ludicrous, then every now and then some Christian goes off and does something ludicrous because they dared to believe. I wonder sometimes what God must be thinking. Oh, You know, a long time ago, I used to have, forgive me for saying this, but I had my head up my theological backside. What I mean is, is I was so, it all had to be about theology. And it all had to be about good doctrine. That I lost sight of the power of God. And I remember years ago, I went to Africa. And, and I had all this great, marvelous theology. <laughs> and I saw people who were, had real needs. They were women that had been raped and abused. There were children that, that were sick and ill. There were all manner of people. There were people there with demons, all kinds of problems. They didn't need my theology. They needed the power of the living Christ. And that gave me a very rude awakening. I think by day four, I was like, oh, why am I here? Why am I here? But I saw the power of God in that place. And God was gracious to me. Hallelujah. I mean, I've shared this before, but like some of the, some of the things... What was that? Right. <laughs> That's a sign. <laughs> I remember... Um, you know, just, just some things. As I was by day four, I was having a bit of a problem with my mind because I was like, I've spent all this time, you know, studying theology and trying to get it right. You know, I've got to be meticulous about my doctrine so that I'm meticulous about this and meticulous about that so we don't go off the rails and all this kind of stuff. But in the process of that pursuit, I lost the power of the gospel. And I remember one day there was this 
there was this prayer queue, and there was all these people. And one, one, one woman, I don't know what the problem was, she couldn't speak English. And, she, and I could see, and I've, again, I've told you this before, but she had this handicapped child that was, that was wrapped around, almost like a spider. The child was just had nothing in its eyes. It was really severely handicapped. Didn't walk, just, just hung on to its mother all the time. And the mother just you know, wanted me to pray for her. So, and I remember counting down the prayer line. I'm thinking, oh, no, I'm going to be the one that has to do this woman. And I, and I was having a meltdown. I was like, no, my theology. And I know now that these people need the gospel, not my theology. And I was like, Jesus, I don't want to do this. And I said to someone on the team, I, I can't do this. And they, they just said, well, I don't care. You're there. Do it. And, um, and this lady came forward, and I prayed for her. I think she had a headache or something, so I prayed for her. And she got instantly healed. Praise God. So then she then ha- said, like, put out her daughters to pray for her. Now listen, how would you feel with someone severely handicapped placed in front of you and they're relying on you, even though it's of God, to do something for them? They're so desperate they need a miracle. And I was inside, I was like, I can't do this, but I had to do it, I had to be obedient. And I just put my hands on the child. I felt no faith. There was no hallelujah. There was none of that moment stuff. It was just, I just felt so weak and ineffective because I knew it had nothing to do with me, but it had everything to do with Christ and his spirit. And I just said, Lord God, just please heal this, heal this girl. Just be healed in Jesus' name. And the mother just put the child down on the floor and walked off. And then the child got up and walked. And she ran over to her mother at the time, I was like, okay, I didn't really quite know what was going on. But that child hadn't walked in six months. And then we got reports through about, about two months later. That, that, and even that day, by the end of the day, the child had, you know, where it was always anxious and fearful, it become calm and happy. And then by the, when I got an email about a month or two later saying the child is doing really well, growing up normally. The mother is so, like, amazed that she's now gave her life to Christ and she's a, a key member in the church. And I saw wonderful things out there. I saw a girl that was seriously demon-possessed, handed over by witch, witch doctors and then eventually rejected. And she would just be in all the meetings that were at, just screaming her head off. And they had to wrap her up in like a big, uh, big shroud and, and literally carry her out. I mean, sort of Bible time stuff. And, uh, and, 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 I, and I was told to, well, I, I don't know how I ended up doing it, but I, I grabbed someone and said, we need to go and pray for her. So I went around the back of this thousand-seater sort of auditorium place. And, uh, and there was people inside. And uh, whilst we were out the back, there, there was this literally a thousand people just broke into roaring. And I was like, Ooh, what the earth is going on in there? But apparently there was a guy who had a motorcycle accident and his arms had locked like that where his arms broke and they, he never got them properly fixed. So his arms were just like that. And a friend on our team, he, he just went up to this guy and said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And he yanked his arms and they went, click, click. And then everyone just rejoiced because the guy was immediately healed. Hallelujah. And so, I didn't know this, but that was the big, big cry. And we spent half an hour with this woman, seriously demonized. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I thought, I've never dealt with anything of this level before. I doubt that we're ever going to get through this. But after the end of a half an hour, she gave her life to Christ. And by that evening, she was in her right mind, completely sound, could speak again, had spoken. The guy said, she has never spoken in years. And she was completely set free. Got an email again from the same people about a month or so later. Said after much counseling, she's completely fine now. That was a 24-year-old girl. Hallelujah. That's the power of Christ. My theology could do nothing to that woman. My theology couldn't save that woman. My great ideas could do nothing for her. 
It's the power of the gospel. It's only the power of Christ that can set the captives free. But brothers and sisters, we've got to start believing this stuff. We can't say, yes, the blood of Christ will deal with all sins, but he only deals with some people who are sick. Well, now, when we go out into town centre and we preach the gospel, okay, does everybody get saved who hears the gospel? But I don't give up preaching, do I? I don't go, oh, I'm not, we're not going to do the gospel anymore because we preached it a couple of weeks ago and nobody, only one person got saved and all the others didn't, so I'm not doing it anymore. It's the same with healing. Well, I prayed for 16 people, but only one got healed. I'm not doing it anymore. That's ludicrous. The blood of the Lamb is sufficient. The blood of the Lamb is sufficient. The blood of the Lamb is sufficient. It's powerful. It can destroy all of Satan's kingdom. One single drop is like an atom bomb in the kingdom of darkness. One single drop and bang. But the church has lost her wonder and her faith in the power of the blood of the Lamb. And until we get that back, we're not going to see the revival that we're wanting to see. You see, I believe we're in a new season now. I believe God is, I've been feeling the Spirit saying to me for a little while now, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Move, do something. Believe. Hallelujah. He was wounded for our sins. He was crushed for our wickedness. The punishment that made us whole fell on him and by his wounds we are healed. By his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds, we are healed. Hallelujah. By his wounds. I can feel the cogs of your brains going, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. You are not goats. You are sheep. Stop thinking like a goat. Did God really say? That's why they've got horns. Did God really say? Oh, I doubt this, and I doubt that, and I doubt, and I doubt, and I doubt, and I doubt. Doubty, doubty, doubt. It's got to stop, brothers and sisters. We've got to be a people that believe. We've got to believe that God can and God will. My wife, she was sick for 20 years with a bone disease. But she just, in her own way, she dealt with this. She's like, well, I'm just going to believe God can heal me. And she even walked by faith. Every, pain, every step was painful for her. I just, she just walked by faith, walked by faith, walked by faith. And it took 20 years. But then came that day where she, we were at a leaders conference and we were taking communion. She took communion and God instantly healed her at the moment she took communion. I've had encephalitis twice. That people who have had that, it's a 70% fatality rate. And those that survive end up having some kind of motor skill problem afterwards. I've had it twice. And God healed me twice. I've died twice. I had brain damage. God healed me. I mean, you know, I have to ask myself sometimes, how many miracles is it going to take before someone starts believing around here? I find when you take scriptures and you isolate them, things become glaringly obvious. Let's read a few of these for you. It's, some of these are from the Amplified Bible, so please, uh, well, in case you wonder why it's expanding it. Surely 
He has borne our griefs, sicknesses, weaknesses and distresses and carried our sorrows and pain of punishment. Yet we ignorantly considered him stricken, smitten and afflicted by God as if with leprosy. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquities. The chastisement needful to obtain peace and well-being for us was upon him. And with the stripes that wounded him, we are healed and made whole. I am the Lord who heals you, Exodus 15, 26. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, which if you read it, has a lot to do with sickness. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, Galatians 3, 13. The Lord will sustain, refresh and strengthen him on his bed of languishing. All his bed, you, O Lord, will turn, change and transform in his illness, Psalm 41, 3. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord, Psalm 119, verse 17. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he will be blessed on the earth. You will not deliver him to the will of his enemies, Psalm 41, 2. Your days shall be 120 years, Genesis 6, 3. You shall be buried at a good old age, Genesis 15, 15. Thou shalt come to thy grave in full age, like as a shock of corn cometh in his season, Job 5, 26. There shall be no miscarrying or barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days, Exodus 23, 26. With a long life I will satisfy him, and let him see my salvation, Psalm 91, verse 16. But you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will remove sickness from your midst. Exodus 23, 25. O Lord my God, I cried out to you, and you healed me. Psalm 30, verse 2. As your days shall be your strength be. Deuteronomy 33, 25. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Psalm 29, 11. And do not be grieved and depressed, for the joy of the Lord is your strength and your stronghold. Nehemiah 8, 10. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. Proverbs 17, 22. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities and who heals all of your diseases. I could go on, and I could go on, and I could go on, and I could go on. It's time to come out of first gear. It's time to stop being these Christians in these toy cars. Go, meep, 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 meep. I'm just going to believe that Jesus just, just, just died for my sins. That's all I'm going to believe. I'm just going to get through the bare minimum of my Christian experience, and then I'm going to die. And let me tell you about your Christian experience. It's poverty compared to the greatness and the riches of Christ Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. But we do it, don't we? We walk in the poverty of our experience. Well, I've been a Christian for 35 years. I don't care. I only care what my Bible says to me. Because, brothers and sisters, it's time for some of us to get out of the boat. And it's time for us to start learning to walk on water. And you know what happens when you walk, learn to walk on water? You might sink a couple of times, but you just get out and you try again, and you get out and try again, and you get out and try again. I mean, that's how it is with everything else, right? If you want to be good at art or good at music, you must try and try and try. We're supposed to be called practicing Christians, which means you need to practice and practice and practice and practice till you get it right. Let's stop practicing unbelief and doubt. And well, let's have some wisdom here. Oh, the wisdom of man is so great. Oh, my knowledge is so great. But I, I'm a doctor, don't you know? These things can't possibly happen in the natural. Who cares? I don't care what you say. You know, when the doctor said to my wife, he is probably, when he wakes up, if he wakes up, will probably have to drink out of a straw for the rest of his life. Okay? 
But my wife and my father-in-law said, yeah, well, that's your word, but it's not the final word. God's word is the final word. And if I didn't have people that stood on the word of God and believed and took some radical faith and actually took God at his word for a change, I would be drinking out of a straw. Hallelujah to Jesus. Hallelujah to his power. You know, it's earlier on when someone gave a word, faith is the, uh, what was the word? The currency. Faith is the currency of heaven. On a jet plane, those engines that give you the thrust, it's faith. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking, oh, he's talking about that feast of feast, 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 I don't get it. But let's be honest. I've, I've hung around with uber conservative, almost cessationist Christians. And I've hung out with the absolutely crazy charismatics. But do you know which camp gets the most miracles and signs and wonders? Crazy guys. Not those guys. Those guys, I love them. And Jesus loves them. They have great Bible colleges, even great churches with great theology. It's a shame they can't kind of get along with each other, really. These guys are great at administering the freedom and the power of the resurrection to people. The reality is you need both. It's not one or the other. He was wounded for our sins and crushed for our, wicked, uh, our wickedness. Yet our infirmities he bore, and ours were the sufferings he endured, although we considered him as one punished by God. Yeah. Ours are the infirmities he bore. You know, it's, it says in Proverbs, it is an abomination to condemn an innocent man. And I often hear Christians condemning themselves. Oh, you know, I did this and I'm a, I'm a complete failure and I'm all this, that and the other. Anyone done that in the room? Anyone? Yeah? Well, guess what? When you do that, forgive me for saying this, but you're being an abomination to God because how dare you and I declare something which Christ has dealt with 2,000 years ago put under the blood? I'm talking about people that obviously have confessed their sins and, and, and stuff. You have, no, you have no right to bring it up again. You have no right to put back on you that sin that was already taken. And I'm going to be really annoying now and say mm, that Jesus bore our sicknesses. Oh, I've had to make some decisions with the old ticker. I've had to make some decisions. Do I, do I live the rest of my life in fear? Or have I, have I decided now that I'm going to do something about it? Because I've, I've been in a place of disparity. I've been in a place where you, you just, you're just looking to, for a doctor just to tell you something, just to give you a bit of hope. But I tell you, if you want some hope, don't go see your local doctor, right? Because they don't give it. Right? That's not their job. They just tell you how bad it is. Oh, it's really bad. I went into a hospital the other day and I, and I said something and, he, and I was like, is that good? Well, it is. It's good for someone of your condition. It's like, oh, go away, man. That's not, that's not good. Doctors never got good news. We've got to believe in God's news. We've got to believe in the power of the gospel. We've got to believe that Jesus does want to heal us. And so I have a decision to make. It's like, am I going to just put up with things or am I going to fight the fight of good faith? Am I going to deal with this in my life? Am I going to sit here for the rest of my days and go, well, I could die tomorrow? Or am I going to do something about it? 
I've chosen to stand on the word of God. I've chosen and resolved. Do you know what? Every single night for the last well, little while now, I've, had, I've, I've got like, I don't know, 25 hours worth of healing sermons on here by some of the world's greatest Bible preachers. And I have it playing all night long. I don't have time to do this stuff during the day, but I sleep for about eight hours a night. So I'm going to get those Holy Ghost preachers and I'm going to get them preaching into my skull all night long until eventually I get it and I believe it and I'm convinced and I get my healing. I, that, is my, that is what I'm resolved to do. I'm not going to stand there and go for the bare minimum. I'm not going to be a, one of the Christians that just want to drive around in first gear all the day long. I've seen so many miracles, so many wonderful things of God in my life and in other people's lives that I'm not prepared to compromise, to boil it down, dumb it down. Well, you know, let's have some wisdom. No, it's time to be radical for Christ. For Christ. It's time to be radical Christians. It's time to make a difference. And, but you see, the thing is, that difference is not going to start with the world. It starts with you and it starts with me. It'll only start with you if you choose to take God's word seriously and start working at it. And any moment that you start feeling doubt and unbelief creeping in, because boy, it comes in, isn't it? You could be on fire Sunday and come, come Tuesday afternoon, you're like, oh, where's it gone? Where's the fire gone? The Bible says, stir up yourself in your most holy faith. Don't get the preacher to do it. You do it. Stir yourself up. Stir it up. Hallelujah. Like a big old pop. Stir the thing up. Get it going. Get it going. Get on fire for Jesus. Hallelujah. Woo! Glory be to God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Sorry. Chase has given me the stop shouting, everyone. Look. I'm excited. I'm excited by what Jesus has done. I'm excited by the cross. I'm excited by the power of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Stir it up. Got a few cessations in the room today. <laughs> Got their arms folded. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's all stand. You see, the living God is here right now. He's here by His Spirit. And all we need to do is call upon Him. The Bible says... Uh, it says, uh, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus, Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The Bible also says in Acts 4, all those that call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't just mean for salvation. It means if you're in trouble, you call upon the name of the Lord and he will save you. You call upon the name of the Lord and he will heal you and he will deliver you. There's people walking around with sickness. There are people who are walking around with mental illness. There are people even walking around with demons. And God wants you to be delivered and he wants you to be set free and healed in the name of Jesus. So I want you to start believing God now for your miracle. I want you to start reaching out and say, Jesus, this is what I need in my life. Please meet me at the place of my need. Because Lord, you meet all my needs according to your riches in glory through Christ Jesus. So I want you to now just start praying, crying out to Jesus, saying, Lord, meet me at my need. Lord, please heal me. Please deliver me. I believe God wants to heal people of mental illness. In Jesus' name, be healed in Jesus' name. Be healed. Don't doubt this. Turn off the Western cynicism. Start believing in Christ that he is able to. Don't think, oh, this is one of those American things. Just believe. It doesn't matter how it's done. Just believe Christ wants to set you free. 
We break the chains of mental illness over people right now. Bipolar, we break you and trample on you like an eggshell and crush you under our feet in Jesus' name. You will be loosed off people in Jesus' name. We speak life over this congregation. We speak blessing over these people. We speak healing over these people right now. In Jesus' name, be healed in your physical areas. Be healed in your mind. Be healed in your soul. Be healed in your spirit in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. We bind up the power of Satan that has held people in bondage to lies and to addiction. In Jesus' name, we break that spirit of addiction in Jesus' name. We break it in Jesus' name. Addiction to tobacco, addiction to pornography. We break it in Jesus' name. You have no more right. These are children of Abraham and it is right and appropriate that they be loosed. Be loosed in Jesus' name. You devils that have been oppressing people in this place. We bind you up right now in the mighty name of Jesus. We command you to get out of here in Jesus' name and never return. Lord, we speak peace. And we speak blessing. And we speak wholeness. And we speak wholesomeness, Lord God. And we speak life. And Jesus, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, oh God, my love, I pray that you give us all the spirit of joy. For that is the strength of our salvation. Lord, give us the spirit of joy. Give us the spirit of joy, Lord God, I pray in Jesus' name. Give us the spirit of joy. And this is what I believe the Spirit wants to say to everyone in this room. The devil is going to try and try on with you this week. And when he does, do this. Ha ha! You know the laughing policeman's song that used to be played years and years ago? Laugh back at him. I'm not falling for that one. You're the accuser of the brethren, but not me, because I've defeated you by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of my testimony. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Amen. I've shouted enough. Lord Jesus, bless these people. In Jesus' name, amen.